0: Find their written and premium audio content at UTHDynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose.
1: Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now.
0: Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons of UTHDynasty.com. And we're going to talk about age, churning that age for youth this week. And if you're a contending team, what's that proper blend? I'm contending now. I've got my lineup. But what does that feeder system look like? And how much youth do you really need in that blend to make yourself feel comfortable for the now and the later? So that's going to be one of our topics. Talk a little rookie. He's got a few trades to analyze as well in this episode. So Katie, this is a big topic because as you put together win now pieces, as you get productive veterans, you do always want to keep an eye on you know, what happens? You know, if the worst case scenario of some of these 28, 29, 30 year old guys, uh, you know, at the, especially at wide receiver, let's say, if they all start to erode a little bit, you could be left holding the bag and searching for answers. So uh, I kind of wanted to start there, but what's your general approach to age and blending contending now versus contending always?
1: I'm going to use percentages because it really varies depend on, depending on the format and, how comfortable I feel with my starters. But if I'm contending on an annual basis, I want to keep my running backs probably 50, 50. I don't mind having a couple, uh, you know, two, three, four older running backs, but I want to have. What does older mean?
0: Just to, just to, just to clarify, what does older mean? Is that over 25? Is that 26, 26, 27 plus
1: 26, 27 plus. Okay. Uh, like the alvin camaros and you know the guys that you've had on your team they've made you successful they're probably the reason that you've been in contention but i like to keep those are fairly easy to uh, stash guys you're usually picking in the 111 112 in a rookie draft range and guys like zamir white and isaiah spiller and some of the guys from this year that are uh you know they're not the Biggest, best profile in the world, but they're still good production, good guys that could potentially hit. So I want to have probably about 50-50 in the running backs. With the wide receivers, I'm okay being more like 75% are on the older side, 25% or so on the younger side. And I don't want to pay up for a wide receiver for a younger guy. I'd rather just continually be patient whether I end up using my pick at the one eleven or one twelve, or another move is to trade that for the next round, next year's pick, trying to get a better look at a better pedigree, and then get a little juice on the side, maybe moving back into the second round a little bit further. You can still hit on wide receivers anywhere in the second and third, being selective, of course, um, and then just continue to turn out the guys. I'd rather. I got so many thoughts in my head right now. Well, let's hold on.
0: on. Well, let's let's go to quarterback and tight end here in a second. So, just a couple comments uh, to add here. So, running back, I like how we didn't talk about this before, but I like that you did percentage base because running back, you're probably going to have a bunch of them, and when you get the cornerstone guy, those are ones that kind of apply to both sides, right? I mean, if you drafted Jonathan Taylor. He's young, but he's also an auto-start player. And I think blending the who's in my lineup versus who I'm developing is a key aspect. And I think it does differ because running back, that can change by the week. And and wide receiver is a lot more nuanced on when do they start to hit and become an auto-start player. I mean, hitting on the Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chases of the world where, oh, well, I guess I got a guy I put in all the time. And it just becomes an instantaneous Odell Beckham-like thing. That's not super common, so a lot of times it's you know you might be mixing them into their your flex spot for a year or two, and before they're actually an auto start player. And looking at a few of my rosters, so so running back, I don't have a lot of age preference. I'll just say because backup running backs are backup running backs. Like they could be a twenty two year old incoming rookie. It could be Isaiah Spiller this year, where you're waiting around to see if there's an injury. But that could also apply to maybe it's Damian Williams. I mean, for goodness sake. So there's a wide range of a value within that backup bucket that it's it's independent with age too. I think with with wide receiver, that 75-25 is a pretty good, nice uh, estimate, just a, a rough roadmap. And one thing that I've been doing a little more of is to get a little younger. I've actually transitioned, not trying to draft wide receiver specifically, it's got to be a best player available thing, but I've quietly gotten some of those players in their mid-20s because I feel like it would extend my window. Like I was looking at one team where my starters are probably going to be guys like Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, guys that have been around my team for a while. But to get a little younger, I've quietly made moves like, well, let me trade for Chris Godwin, who's 26. Let me trade for Deontay Johnson, who I think is 25. So this automatically now puts me at a three-plus-year window. They're right in their, their prime, but they've also been productive. So I would almost call it maybe wide receivers, a three-tier system. You would love to have a Justin Jefferson. You'd love to have cornerstone young guys. But on the, this one roster I was looking at, I mean, Brandon Ayuk is really my only true sub-25 young guy, let's say, of we things could be good in the future, but you wouldn't be surprised if he never really gets to auto-start for multiple years or something like that. So... I do think it's nice to have one or two that you can lean on, and it doesn't have to be one of the top two or three at the position, but I think you need to have something in the pipeline. Is that drafting Jahan Dotson or George Pickens or whoever from this year's class? If you have a rookie or a second-year player or two, I think that really helps you at wide receiver on the developmental track where there's zero pressure on them for your lineup, but still it gives you a shot of getting a cornerstone guy through his 20s
1: yeah and I agree with that there are there are times where you can still hit on a guy in the late first like a George Pickens uh, I think he could end up being, a fairly good, reliable NFL player, but it will take some time. But while he is brewing on your roster and you're not using him, you still got your Mike Evans and, and uh, Brandon cooks and some of the older guys that are leading the way. The other thing that I like to do instead of trading my older guys for younger guys, because you're not going to get the value and they still have juice when they're healthy, when they're playing. So rather than trade them as a bridge or super bridge to somebody else that will use them in that capacity. They're risky.
0: If you do that, it's super risky because the total number of predictable starts you get out of them in one year for that older player, it might be more than the next two or three years or ever for that younger player that you just, I got to get younger, but the profile is so much weaker.
1: Right. Exactly. So um, besides drafting the players, I'm also constantly looking for guys that either get injured and then you can buy them on the cheap and stash them for the for the next year and guys in that mid-20s, guys that have already gone through that three year uh, betting process. Exactly. So you get to pick and choose. And then every now and again when you when you have a little extra capital, if you've been trading your firsts to get future picks, all of a sudden you can put yourself in a good position to have you know, one of the top three or top five in a particular class and get one of those potential young studs that everybody covets. So, just,
0: just one point on the rookie thing that you just said. I'm fine with people trading, even saying first round rookie picks, I'm fine with people trading those away. I like it better when they trade it from the current class than a future class because you know, have a general sense of what you're trading away. And B, you're timing the market where. You can generally get more bang for the buck than trading right now at 23 first. You know, let that come all the way to fruition, let it uh, mature in value. But here's what I would say if you trade away your first, like for example, in this one league where I don't have a ton of true young players, 25 and under, that when you do trade your first, that's why I mentioned guys like Deontay Johnson or Chris, John- uh, Chris-, Chris Godwin or these mid career guys. Because that's where I think you're not going to get the 21, 22-year-old infusion. Therefore, trading your rookie pick away, I think you need to be a little more sensitive and not go for the 29-year-old of saying like, in a one to two-year window, they can really help me. Instead, you need to go a little younger, the mid-career, because that can basically be your youth infusion plus let's call it you know like a a sophomore/junior you know in the high school realm of you're not getting the senior you're not getting the freshman but you're getting something in between and so that's where i, I, I just wanted to add on about the rookie pick trading that that's your chance to infuse youth to your team and so if you are going to trade it i think you need to at least 1.0 have that mindset when you are trading it
1: oh absolutely and uh, I totally lost my train of thought.
0: So tight end, uh, well, kick us off on, on tight end and how it might vary one tight end versus two tight end, how you approach age in the position.
1: So tight ends and quarterbacks for me are similar. I've said this before. I'm not an ageist when it comes to tight end. In fact, I'm the reverse, the opposite. I'd rather have the older tight ends. I'd rather have the older quarterbacks for the most part. And then continue to draft best player available. If it is tight end premium and you like a guy like Pat Fryermuth last year, I liked him quite a bit. I was like, he's the kind of guy that is dropping towards the late part of the first round, sometimes even mid second. So you can get them and then stash them and not have to worry about them. And then if they do develop quickly, great. Then you've got that infusion of youth, but I'm going to ride a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle or a Darren Waller into the sunset. And again, just continue to have the backup players out. Albert O for example, is a fairly reasonably priced tight end right now. And he's young. He's got more of an opportunity with Fant being traded. So you look at the changing landscape and the opportunity, try to pick up guys. To to pad that the younger guys that you think will be getting opportunities.
0: Yeah, the, the all, all timers at tight end, you, like you said, I mean, you just get on that horse and you ride that thing for as many miles as it goes. And uh, two guys I remember where every year the price dropped, every year people counted them out, and every year they overproduced. It's almost like Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady now is just like every year is a money printing machine, kind of like Breeze or whatever. But I remember Tony Gonzalez. He in his mid 30s and even later 30s, he was still chugging along in a top 10, top 15 PPR option. And I know he slowed down. I know his yards per per catch dropped, and all this. He was still a startable guy that people wrote off every single time. Jason Witten was another example of just they get to 32, 33. We're seeing it with Travis Kelsey. It's already started. But you know what? Yes, he could retire out of the blue like an Andrew Luck or like any. They could but you can't say that that's a high probability. There's nothing really pointing to that and if you get if you get blindsided by it so be it. That's a tough beat. And it would be a tough beat for anyone. But sitting at 32 when the discount starts and Kelsey's all of a sudden like tied in 4, tied in 5, next year it'll be tied in 8, then it'll be tied in 12 at 34 years old, you just keep Keep on chugging uh, by rostering them. And in a startup draft, they start to become super affordable uh, in the trade market. If they're ever on a team not contending, you can buy them in September, October. So it becomes part of a plan because tight end is so tough to get the next guy right. I mean, try to predict between Goddard and Fant and Friarmouth and, you know, just put five, six, seven guys together, the next guys outside the top five or six and say, who's going to be that perennial top three, four guy. Good luck. Good luck getting that right. It is so tough. And when you look back at historically what's happened, it's the guys that have been there, done that. They keep being there and doing that. So Kelsey stopped getting picky and be like, I wish he was 27. He's not, but he's cheaper. He would be like Kyle Pitts in value, like untouchable. Get off my lawn. I don't even want to see your offers. If he was 5 years younger, younger with Patrick Mahomes, with his productive track record. So the reason he's even accessible right now is because he's 32. So, yeah, for tight end and and even uh, frankly in two tight end, I want a guy I can count on, and I'm fine taking shots uh, with the other guys. Like I'm fine having a little more risk and variance. Of trying to find the next guy or stop gaps or whatever. But if you don't have that cornerstone guy, man, you're playing, you're playing roulette and rotation with the whole freaking depth chart. And it's really frustrating. And I'll say with quarterback, just to kick off, that I really don't care about age in one quarterback at all. Give me the productive guys. I have some leagues where I got Tom Brady and nobody else. And I don't even blink because if he retires next off season, I know I can address the position for cheap. At a minimum, or I can take a shot on somebody and maybe even play the waiver wire depending on the depth. But it, I will say in super flex and two quarterback, I'm okay doing that with one spot if Brady's one of my top two, but I definitely wouldn't go super old with the other one in terms of a team builder feeling comfortable. I would need someone with a little more of a window. So, an example would be a year ago oh, well, I got Brady and I got Big Ben. That's not ideal in your top two spots. You want someone a little younger, even if it's mid 30s, like a Stafford or a Cousins, you at least have a bigger window at play if Brady retires or someone of that ilk retires.
1: Absolutely. And I'm fine with guys that are middle aged and older at quarterback. The guys like Derek Carr, completely underrated year over year over year. And Um, Matthew Stafford, he had a great year last year, but he had been undervalued for the longest time. Those guys, you can find a dime a dozen, even in Superflex. People want that shiny penny, that shiny gold, and they're willing to chase it. Um, Churning a younger quarterback for that middle-aged guy plus is a great move on a contending team. You're still going to get similar production, maybe not flashy but it's like that new car instead of having a new car that immediately erodes in value as soon as you drive it off the lot this this you know may have 30,000 miles on him, but it's going to keep going if you just you know keep well, that tooling
0: it's just such a tough position like the thing i mean a 23 year old playing really well in the nfl the, the toughest position in sports like that's a tough ask for anybody so it takes you probably till 26, 27, 28 till you know what you're doing till you feel pretty comfortable. Hopefully you have some offensive coordinator, head coach, front office, organizational stability. Some quarterbacks don't get that and frankly, it's a raw deal. Like I really feel bad for something like Justin Fields, for example, complete changeover this year. they don't help him with weapons. Is he really set up to succeed? I mean, it's it's really a tough ask to over. Achieve all of that. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, factory reset. And yeah, you can say he's been helped a little more than Justin Fields on a few different fronts. But still, I can't imagine going into the NFL, big transition. And then you say, your first three years, three different coaches, three different offenses, you got to learn. We're changing weapons in and out, no stability. And go ahead, go in, go change our franchise. Good luck with that. And at least the veterans have such a built up uh, resume of data points, seeing everything. And if things go in and out or learning a new system, they've already done that maybe two, three, four times in their 10 years, but they've had some stability. They've had success. They know the ways of the road. It's kind of like going to a new school, right? I mean, you don't even know where you're going. What time does class start? Like Literally having the right books and going to class is all you're thinking about. And yet, once you know all the hallways, you know where your locker is, you know everything, the rest becomes a heck of a lot easier it's a it's a rough translation but i just is there an example because we don't talk about the young quarterbacks much at all is there an, is there a quarterback that this year's draft class at a certain price point you got a few shares or last year because we don't talk a lot about rookie or young quarterbacks but do you have exceptions to your rule in general in terms of oh well this is this is good value or i want to be in on this player even with a share or two
1: Well, in in rookie drafts, that's where I want to get those young quarterbacks and see what they can do. And so, yeah, I mean, if I'm a contender, there's always going to be quarterbacks in that 10, 11, 12 range. The Daniel Jones and the Josh Allen fell to that range. And uh, Justin Herbert fell to that range. A lot of times the people that are drafting from those early spots overlook guys like that because they want you know, the biggest stud that's being buzzed and it's hard to tell with a quarterback necessarily. So, so yeah, I, I, there's quarterbacks that are young that I like, but I'm just saying in a startup draft, I'm not willing to put my life on the line for X, Y, Z. Look at Carson Wentz, look at Jamis, Jamison, uh James Winston, look at Marcus Mariota, look at Jared Goff, you know, uh, all those guys when they were rookies and in the first couple of years, Baker Mayfield, they were first round, second round startup picks. What's the
0: false positives? Exactly. I mean, that's it's the they show promise, but it's just not to a high enough level. It is not like Patrick Mahomes is more than showing positive signs. The first year he started, he was a quarterback one. Justin Justin Herbert, first time he started, quarterback one. Like these are strong hits that in the first year or two, that is. I mean, that's way beyond what we saw from Carr and Winston and Mariota that, frankly, I think they were just at a period where there was a bunch of old guys. And these were the the, the next newest, shiniest, youngest. And they've done something. They look like they might be on the success track. But just like wide receiver, I think that's one of the riskiest things you can do is anoint. Anoint those quarterbacks, anoint those wide receivers that haven't really got all the way home. And I mean, you're paying... A little bit of a discount off guys like you know Justin Jefferson or the guys that legitimately have done it once or twice, so you're you're getting a little bit of a discount, but you're taking on a whole lot more risk because there's been so many whiffs of guys that just plummet in value because they end up being just a guy, just a guy in this crazy world, and they ultimately are either getting replaced or churned out, or those NFL teams and dynasty teams frankly are looking for more juice and more upside. Um, All right, so. In terms of talking rookies here, we have both had a bunch of drafts already complete. It's early June. And offhand, who do you think is one or two of your most rostered rookies? This also could be from the Devi landscape that are now graduating, if you will, to the rookie class and your official active squad for, for your dynasty teams. But in terms of values and maybe, again, that pipeline, who, who kind of applies to most rostered for you?
1: Well... It's weird because in in this particular year through Debbie, I saw it coming that it was a weak class, and I've traded a lot of my picks preemptively, like last year or maybe even the year before. But I tend to I find that I'm getting a lot of Tyler Algier in the late second, early third. That's a pretty good price point for back of his type and injury away. Atlanta doesn't have a settled backfield, so I like I like the profile. Um, I've got a lot of Isaiah Spiller from Debbie and no, I know he didn't do that great in the NFL draft, but I still think he's, I still think he's a potential decent pro. We'll see what his opportunities. He won't have the opportunities as a second round, uh, or first round NFL back, but I think he's the kind of guy that if he gets an opportunity could still do something big with it.
0: Yeah. Uh, good points there. and. and- and yeah, Algier pretty unsettled depth chart, which I think uh, definitely applies to Atlanta and what we could see on quality starts uh, around that depth chart. See if Patterson, uh, you know, is he going to do something? Get it? Get? I mean, I think I think Algier is. <laughs> he's with two year thirty-year-old plus running backs, if you will, running backs. You know, offensive weapons there with Patterson. Um, my top owned guy is Brian Robinson. You know, for and all I did was track rookie-only drafts because that's the only way to make it truly fair and apples to apples. But I just found it's usually the price point of who's my target player somewhere from the late first to maybe the third round. That's something that I generally just pound over and over again if I find a profile and a price point I like. And with Robinson... I mean, sometimes I was going a little earlier on the, the second round side if I really got squeezed on some targets and sometimes all the way to the late second or even early third. So I found his range and that's I had a lot of seconds this year. Some some places I had traded away my first or traded it away uh, during the draft itself. But seconds, a lot of times you don't get as much bang for your buck. And I keep those on the hopes, like a Brian Robinson, that you get a second round, uh, a day two, excuse me, pedigreed running back. So Robinson, he's falling, I think, because A... Didn't produce as much, but he come from comes from Alabama. That's a tough ask uh, for a guy that always had a, a five star or a guy with more stars that was ahead of him on the depth chart. Pretty much his whole career, he's a little on the older side, but guy can play. I, I just I, I think who knows how this year works out. Honestly, I think Gibson at some point will either fumble twice in the game or or he'll get injured, and Brian Robinson's going to tote the mail and he's going to do a lot of things right. And he's going to be a grinder and McKissick might steal a ton of the receiving work, but Robinson, I really think Washington is going to be one of those underrated offenses. I think Carson Wentz is underrated. I think if the weapons are relatively healthy, they've actually got a better collection than than I've seen in a few years from them. And I'm kind of excited to see can they take that step from okay to legitimately a healthy NFL offense? uh, in terms of some upside and some production on a weekly basis. And Brian Robinson could be the guy getting the most carries, um, within an offense like that. So pretty excited to see it. I know he's, I know he's on the older side, but, but again, just pop pop on the uh, Alabama tape and you see a guy that looks already exiting college and he's 23, 24, but looks like an NFL running back just on tape. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn through a couple, uh, trades here to close the show it doesn't have to be the same design as, as a week ago. We kind of broke down how you would make the, the deals better, uh, and you flip it around on what would be a good counter offer. But I thought these were some interesting ones in terms of pairing profiles we know versus profiles we do not. Uh, Superflex here. We've got Jalen Waddell, obviously with Tyreek Hill joining that depth chart. Some questions about how good Miami's going to be in the passing game. Four, LaVisca Chenault. The big piece here is 102, 207, and a second next year. So a lot of pieces, 102 being the centerpiece for Jalen Waddle after his successful rookie season.
1: Yeah, I would take the package. I think there's too many, too many shots to not. And I I again question Waddle and his usage with the extra weapons. Tua, I like Tua and what is this year three for him? I think he's I think he's gonna be fine in the long in the long run, in the long term, but that two spot is pretty juicy, either Kenneth uh, Yeah, if it was five,
0: right? I mean, if it's five, it's a little bit of a different conversation. But right. having two seconds, we just talked about, I mean, 207 in Superflex is probably, it's right in that Brian Robinson zone, you know, where you can get that. LaVisca Chenault, I mean, we both kind of still hold out hope for him doing something more than he has. So far, you bank the second next year. That's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, and if you have questions about Jalen Waddle and what he's going to be coexisting with, they have good weapons, and we'll see what the upside is. I mean, yeah, 102 is a critical element to go, like you said, Walker, Drake London. You can, I mean, you could trade 102 probably for a guy that you view at least as good as Jalen Waddle, if I were taking a guess. All right, uh, you mentioned you got to be sticky with these, these older tight ends that are productive, so now we got 102 on the move in Superflex, 102 traded. For Darren Waller, two eleven. So this is not tied in premium. So it's just a start one stock. So if Waller's a huge upgrade, you got nothing. Is one oh two about right or too much?
1: Even in this year's class, being down, I'd, I'd want a little bit more on the Waller side. I can I can yeah. see it, and I can see why. And you still got a decent pick added in there
0: but it's it feels like a mid first is more appropriate than 102 right yeah if you're in that garrett wilson chris olave like it feels like you had 102 and maybe 202 and 202 is not enough 102 is a little too much but you don't really have something between them to make a probably a, a best counter is what i would say yeah and here's the other thing you, I mean, maybe you're sitting with Evan Ingram, Cole Komet, like, you know, you're sitting with some guys that maybe got a chance and you haven't even let that play out for two, three weeks to see what you got. So okay. Darren Waller, yes, is in high likelihood, an upgrade over what you have. But I mean, you're doing it now also. And I know you don't have 102 in September, but I don't know. I, I think I, with 102, I would have explored the Kelsey angle. I would have explored the other top three, four, five tight ends too to see if I got a better di- deal. I don't know.
1: Yeah, Waller, Waller himself has been, I wouldn't say injury prone, but he has been banged up quite a bit and and of the top tight ends hasn't been as consistent in the last couple of seasons.
0: And you got Adams added in. That's a major variable to Waller dominating targets exactly. on a team that now has a ton of weapons Right. with Hunter Renfro developing and Renfro developed with Waller being in and out of the lineup. So I think... Raiders, either, either Derek Carr is going to go nuclear this year, which I think he's a former you know, pushing for MVP type player. So don't be surprised. But if all these players meet cost and meet expectations, Carr is going to be like top six. If, if all of them actually meet what a lot of their projections are. Uh, final one here is Cordero Patterson. If you got him for a second round pick, are you, are you churning him out or do you want to see what happens this year?
1: Is it a second from this year or next year?
0: Let's assume it's a future second because your draft has already happened.
1: I would take the second.
0: Just, just bank it and be like, that magic from last year of him being in your lineup regularly unlikely to occur again?
1: I, I would say so. And even if it did...
0: The most you're getting is a the second. The
1: most you're, yeah, the most the you're going get is The best case is
0: to get this in October yeah. or November when you know what? It's probably going to be tough to from your from your, your cold... Gripped hands, right? Because now you're setting lineups and he's helping you. So right. it might be tough. Right. All right. Uh, what about some final thoughts, Katie, um, as we get out of here? Talk a little about age. Talk about some of the rookie pick trading this week.
1: Nah, just uh, keep grinding. The offseason is long. It just be, it's just starting. If you haven't had rookie drafts, get prepared. If you haven't had Debbie drafts, make a sheet. Make sure that you don't just follow the ADP that's in MFL. We say this a ton, but Know where your targets are, and have fun with it.
0: Yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, I'm a couple rounds into my first startup draft of the off season, and it's really breathed some life. Uh, I've been ha- I've been very busy over the last three four months, and it's been really nice to settle in, look at some some market value, and not just answer questions, make board f- boards for others. But get in there. I always say you got to mix it up. You got to mix it up and have a good sense. So even if you're coaching someone through a startup draft, um, I get to see a lot of VIP questions um, in the chat. But doing it myself, you know, and working through uh, trading situations and where are tier lines, the new environment of player value in the given year. I I will. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. June, July is a really good time period where not a whole lot of NFL news going on. You've got the the rookies fully mixed in with landing spots and everything. You got 23 firsts in there, maybe some 24 picks available for trading. And it's just a good time where everyone's going to be kind of locked in. You can go slow. If it takes the rest of the month, so be it. It doesn't really matter uh, from the, you're really going to miss something. So uh, I know that's really got me going uh, after a little bit of lull here with rookie drafts. But like Katie said, rookie Debbie, you mix those in together. Uh, And if you end up doing just one special startup draft uh, in the off season, it can really be a a cornerstone and and fun, enjoyable addition to your portfolio, but also just staying plugged in with the Dynasty player value landscape and building your team a slightly different way uh, in terms of players than you did in 2021 or before there. you got questions in between episodes, you can hit up Katie Flower at ff underscore Skyler 399 i am at chad parsons nfl you want to support the show become a general manager subscriber got a lot of premium podcasts i'm going to be doing some interrogation rooms you get to hear about rookie draft strategy and walking through those steps as well Rankings are scrubbed, trade calculators updated. And actually now with the trade calculator, you're getting a monthly series of strategy session podcasts by position, as well as a how-to guide that's about 15 minutes, I believe, where I talk through all the different features, usage, and information you need to most effectively use that tool over at UTHDynasty.com. So for Katie Flower, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties.
1: Dude's yeah. f***ing Vaughn.